You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Let's start it off with Delaware football taking on Towson this weekend. The Tigers 6-1 and one overall, and they're 4-0 and oh in the CAA, the lone undefeated conference team left. Delaware, after a 38-14 victory last week against New Hampshire, is now 5-2 and two on the season and 3-1 and one in CAA play. As we talked a little bit about on the last episode of the Delaware Football Roundup, which, again, you can find on our podcast feed, Blue Hen Sports Cage, this could be a game that gives Delaware an inside track to a playoff spot. It wouldn't by any means guarantee one, but coming up with a win against now the number 10-ranked team in the country after two weeks ago defeating the number 5-ranked team in the country would make Delaware a pretty appealing team in the eyes of the playoff voters. This is a win-and-get-in. For the Blue Hens, barring any um, miracle run by a bottom team, because Delaware wins this game. They're ahead of against Towson. They'd be ahead uh, in the tiebreak for both Towson and Elon, two of the top teams, and their only gripe would be to lose out, but it'd be really hard to do that, especially with Albany coming up next, who is really on the lowdown. If Villanova doesn't seem to be able to turn it around, they can be on the lowdown. But this is a win and pretty much get in, and a loss and it makes it super crucial for the two games following it. Delaware loses this game. Albany and Stony Brook must be wins if Delaware would like to be even calm, cool, and collected towards the end of the year. So it's implications left and right. But I think the most important part is that they're just taking this one step at a time. And we saw uh, when Coach Rocco was talking and he was talking about uh, the quarterback for Towson, Tom Flacco, he talked a lot about his achievements on and off the field. He talked about the season that he was having before it, but he was almost really focused on this game. He was like, okay, great. He was fine this game, but let's let's focus on what's coming up. Let's focus on this Saturday, and then we can talk about everything else. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go as far to call this win and you're in. I think it's too early to say that because there, you know, there are three games to go, and in the CAA, none of those three games are going to be easy wins. I especially look at that game against Villanova as a game that would be very easy to overlook, and it was a team that Delaware may be overlooked last year and lost to 28-7, to albeit on the road this year. It'll be at Delaware Stadium. But to me, I, I, I would say it gives them an inside track, lets them control their own fate toward the stretch to make a playoff spot. Uh, and it would give them a little bit of cushion where if they did lose to Stony Brook, another ranked team, they would still probably be in if they could take the two wins against Albany and Villanova, games that they would be favored in. But as we look now at this matchup, they're they're probably the underdogs. Towson's ranked tenth in the country again, undefeated in CAA play, and they come into Delaware with the top ranked passing attack in the CAA and a quarterback in Tom Flacco. Yes, the younger brother of Joe Flacco, who has shown a lot of mobility as, as a guy who's a dual threat. And we've talked about it a little bit on both the football roundup podcast and here on this show. You can you can make hey passing the ball against this Delaware defense and some of these guys who are a little bit more elusive. Have, have been able to do so, and maybe Juwan Lawson from Rhode Island. We saw it a little bit with Joe Mancuso with Richmond. Now they're facing a Towson offense that's better than anything they've seen so far this season in conference play. Yeah, and I think the, the in-conference play is obviously the asterisk there. We saw Easton Stick play at North Dakota State. Tom Flacco's fourth in the CAA in rushing. This is a Not among quarterbacks, among everybody. This is everybody, <laughs> yeah. and Tom Flacco's fourth. Tom Flacco's third in total offense. He puts up about 360 yards per game himself, not including his running back, who's 10th in the CAA. They have offense left, right, and center. The thing that makes this team so deadly 
is that they can do it either way. This is not the Delaware team of two years ago Well, where if you put seven in the box, congratulations, you've won the football game against the Blue Hens. Right, they had less than 100 passing yards per game, but right. they had the number two rushing attack. Great rushing attack, Thomas Jefferson leading the charge. You to- stop Thomas Jefferson, you win the football game. Now, you've kind of seen that identity with the Blue Hens this year. They're being more comfortable on both sides of the ball. But this Towson team, if you happen to cut off their run, they're going to put 300-plus on you in the air. You cut off their air attack, they're running backs. They're, I, they're, they have a lot of designed runs for their wide receivers. And, of course, Tom Flacco will beat you on the ground. So then what's the defensive approach? How does Delaware come into this game? What is What, what do they try to take away from Towson, if anything, And is there any part of the Delaware defense that lines up as a strength against the Towson offense? I think the biggest thing, Delaware's probably going to play safe. Delaware's probably going to drop an extra man back. And they're going to do that not only because Tom Flacco is very talented at the passing game, but because our linebackers are very talented in the read option game. They're very smart with the ball. We saw it uh, twice on the goal line stands against um, Elon. Troy Reader made two great plays on the goal line um, on read options. They're going to just let them play in space. Going to let your readers, you're going to let your arm and wares when he's getting his time, and even your Ray Jones if he's creeping into that position to get their time to get uh, their reads on space. So I think they're going to play safe, drop one extra man back, and kind of let their linebackers do the work. What have you seen from the Delaware pass rush so far this season? It's not something that we've talked about a whole lot. Um, I'll put out there to me, I liked seeing what we did early against what we saw early against New Hampshire where they were bringing an extra pass rusher, especially on third downs every now and then, blitzed Troy Reader a couple times effectively. But from those guys down linemen, you know, it seems to me that they've kind of been lost in the sauce. They haven't been making a lot of hay. Is that part of an equation? I guess I'll first ask your thoughts on them, and then we'll get into if that's an area where Delaware could perhaps step up their play in a crucial game like this. I think they're being heavily overshadowed by the fact that, yes, their pass rush isn't great, but they're not letting up much on the ground. So you, okay, you, you pick you and choose your ba- yeah you pick and choose your battles. You want to be a shutdown team on the pass rush, um, and sack the quarterback twice on a drive, but let him gash you for 10, 15 yards on the ground, or you pick and choose. Um, so yeah, I think it's just kind of picking their battles. But overall, I think this is their identity now. I don't think they're going to be a big play sack and then bend don't break for the other two downs. I think they're a four down team. They're a four down football team. And that's what we need, especially with an offense that's slowly churning. Both of these units churning together will help themselves. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD with Jake Lampert. I'm Brandon Halvac talking Delaware football as they prepare for their matchup this weekend against Towson. Special teams was a big part of last week's win against New Hampshire. First, it was the block by Troy Reeder, which set up Delaware points on basically the next play. And then later in the game, it was the highlight real play that I'm sure everybody listening to this show has seen a couple of times by now, where Nasir Adderley plows over a New Hampshire defender and runs a kickback 92 yards the other way for six. Is is this, you know, when, when teams are close, right, coaches will always point to a couple of different things. They'll point to the turnover battle, they'll point to penalties, and a lot of times they mention special teams as something that, is often overlooked as a deciding factor in important games like this. Do you see this as an area to watch out for this weekend for for both teams? Towson has a very talented return guy in Shane Simpson who has won 
multiple honors for his kick return ability starting his freshman year before he was even really part of the offense. He's leading the CAA in all-purpose yards, a lot yeah. of that due to his returning skills. And then we see what Delaware does with guys like Reeder and Adderley, who make plays on defense, but now also showing up making plays on special teams. How do those things weigh to each other, and is this an important thing to watch for on Saturday? I'm not going to call it unimportant because obviously special teams is important, and we saw that um, last game. This game is not going to come down to special teams. This is going to be the Delaware defense against Tom Flacco through and through. There's no room for error between those two units. If the Delaware defense is slacking, there's a real there's there's no real chance the special team is going to claw them back. Yeah, into no, if, game. if the defense does not play well, Dallas going to put up a score that Delaware's offense won't yeah, simply the, be this, able to match. This entire yeah. game relies on the Delaware defense. That's it. Short and simple. The special teams doesn't really have much weight on it the Towson special teams I don't think it has much weight on it either because all their weights on their offense so the big matchup Towson offense Delaware defense everything else is a great supporting cast to give them some buffer but it won't be the deciding factor this game starts to remind me of the game against James Madison last year at Delaware Stadium where it was really windy and it took the sails kind of out of that James Madison offense a little bit and the defense had maybe their best game of the season. They held JMU to 17 points, which was the fewest they scored in the regular season. And Delaware's offense simply didn't do anything. It was maybe their worst game of the season. Actually, Villanova. But at that point in the year, it was their worst performance. And JMU gets the win. But Delaware was in a game that they probably shouldn't have been in against a top-ranked team. This weekend, we're going to get bad weather Friday night into Saturday morning. It feels to me that same kind of way. If Delaware is going to win this game, it's going to be in part because the defense slows down that offense enough, and then maybe there's some external factors that you know bring real in how high passing of attack that is. You know that doesn't allow them to take shots down the field. The De- Delaware defense is a little more aggressive and holds them in check, and then you ask the offense to just do enough. Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse with this bad weather because it's going to the Towson offense. They are not going to go vertical as much as we'd expect because weather has an impact in it. But Delaware can't go vertical either. True. And, and they've been a big— They've been great. Big down-the-field team. Joe Walker on the outside, even Vinny Papali Scarf. on the outside. Charles Scarf down the seam has been solid from every uh, every direction. So it's—if the weather's really that bad where both teams can't really go vertical anymore and they're kind of doing uh, under roots and seams— Running the football? You know, he, how does that play for Delaware? Because— Typically, this has been a team that has run the ball effectively. They did so a little bit better last week, but they've not been up to their standards. Delaware has. It's going to be Kanai Kane against the world this game. I don't. I'm not going to say Lee doesn't get as much touches. I know Rocco was no, twenty five thirty and fifteen twenty was the split that he wanted. Yeah, but uh, last week it was be, Kane. Last yeah. week Kane really took over. It's going to be a nice gap. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a fifteen to twenty. Excuse touch me. Gap. Excuse me. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, last week they. They had a big lead. Kane didn't play as much, but when when it was close, it was it was Kane who sealed that drive against Elon. You're gonna have a 15 to 20 touch gap in between these two running backs. Delaware is going to tell Kanai Kane because the rain hurts in the air and it hurts on the ground too. It's slippery, especially on the turf, the Delaware field. Yeah, it, it won't be muddy, but it it can be slick. I guess. Yeah, it's slick. So if you get your power back and you get his legs churning in one direction, tell him you don't need to cut. Lee doesn't need to be. Uh, Kane doesn't need to be as shifty as Lee is, just cutting through the tackles. You can just tell Kanai yeah. Kane, put the shoulder put, down. Literally put the team on your back. And run. And with this slippery condition, he'll have more traction because he'll get the head start. And I think Kanai Kane will have a heck of a game against Towson. Brandon Halvac, Jake Lampert. This is Blue Hen Sports Cage on WVUD. It's homecoming weekend, the 27th. When this schedule was made, they probably didn't think that this was going to be 
a game of the of maybe the week and at least the CIA, maybe the FCS, uh, and a game that has a huge bearing on Delaware's rest of the season. Uh, but but it is, and it comes at a time where you're going to expect a pretty large crowd because of the homecoming events. Um, you know, how does that play into? I guess we'll start first with the game, and then maybe we'll spin it on the other way, saying how does the game affect the fans if they perform well? But first, you know, does the home field advantage does a bigger crowd, does that give Delaware an advantage in this game against Towson? They fed off the crowd nicely this year, and I think that the fans um, are slowly trusting this team a little more because for the first time in my three years, the opening day game against URI was might not have been the most crowded, but it was the most buzz. The people there were actually excited to watch this football team, and after that loss, it kind of stalled. They were like, well, season's over. Same, See you all later. Thing, yeah. yeah. But now they're slowly earning the trust back, and I think it came from that Elon game directly that they've proven— One parents and family weekend, a big, big that, week event. That they can, they can play, and they can play well. So I expect this game to be about as buzzy as any game has been this football season, maybe even last football season, and this will be perhaps the most important crowd game of the year for the Blue Hens. And then kind of on the flip side of that, how would a win affect fan attitude, fan perception— toward this team if they win this game when this is heavily speculated but they might be playing a playoff game at delaware Delaware stadium Stadium. so if the win goes through and it turns out they have a home game against delaware stadium this win will kind of be everybody's all right i'll see y'all in three or four weeks kind of thing like you saw it once. Let's see it again. Let's do it again. Fans are going to be excited. Fans are going to see this buzz, and I think they're going to be out there in full force. Pat Kehoe was shaken up against New Hampshire. He's expected to give it a go this weekend. We mentioned Kanai Kane as another key contributor offensively. Is there anything else from the Blue Hens offense that you see as an X factor in this matchup against Towson? Probably going to be Charles Scarf. Six tu- six touchdowns on the season for Charles Scarf. He's got 10 in his career. He's tied for the most in the CAA right now. Because slick conditions means you can't go deep, but slick conditions means you want to go short, and your best short target's your big man, and they're just going to have to feed Charles Scarf as much as they can, and he'll be that big third down and five, third down and six kind of look that you're going to need, especially if Pat Kehoe's shaking up. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage Podcast. Now very pleased to welcome into our show Delaware Women's Basketball Head Coach, Natasha Adair entering year number two with the Blue Hens. Yes. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for having me. So kind of get it, catching back up after the season last mm-hmm. year, you guys make a fairly deep push into the CAA tournament. Right. Um, Nicole Anabosi won CAA Player of the Year, um, but I'm sure a lot has happened for you personally and for the team since then. Uh, how are you feeling heading into year number two? Well, what, we're 15 days away. <laughs> Do you really want to know how I'm feeling? <laughs> No, just so excited. Um, you know, going into year two, like I was saying, it, it just makes sense. It makes sense for the, the student athletes. They know the expectations. The culture is set. Last night we had our goal setting meeting at the house, aside from the fact that, you know, they had a really good meal. They wanted coach <laughs> to cook. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about kind of the upcoming season and expectations and everything kind of piggybacked off of where we were a year ago. And our motto is, is kind of one more. You'll see us hashtag one more. You'll see us hashtag 212. You know, water gets warm at 211 degrees, but it boils with that extra degree. And so we want to give one more to everything that we do. 
we felt like a year ago, you know, our goals were to get to that championship game and put ourselves in a position to win. And there were so many opportunities to, to make that happen. And so we just feel like, you know what, we're not done yet. We still have more to do. And, and so we're just really excited about where we are. And just as a coach and, and with our coaching staff, watching them day in and day out in the gym and, and where the expectations are high. And, and I'm pushing a little further. And now I think they understand why. They are so receptive and ready to give everything that they have. So I am really excited about what's to come. What did you learn as a coach from your first year here working with the team? That these are student athletes that are hungry, that these are really good people. Um, there was not one day that, that there was resistance from anything that we were asking as a coaching staff um, you have to think about the adjustment that they had to make really on the fly, new coach, new system for a team that I didn't recruit. You know, they were all right. players that were here. And so we never talked about what was in the past. We talked about this is why we're here. This is why we love, you know, Blue Hen Country. This is this is the, the decision we all made. And so they just hit the ground running. And I just learned that that they were just really good people at heart. And they were willing to do whatever it is we asked them to do to continue to get better. So before we get to the players that we'll kind of be talking about Mm -hmm. for the entire season, it's important to note that this Blue Hen women's basketball team will be without the CAA player of the year last year, Nicole Anabosi. And what was great is she's actually in my finance class, which is funny (laughs) and all. And I saw the she's up and walking, Mm -hmm. which is great. She's Mm -hmm. making great strides. She looks good, doesn't she? (laughs) This was a player for 18 points per game, Mm -hmm. led the CAA, led the CAA in rebounds per game. It's obviously not easy to fill those shoes, but... When Brandon and I were talking, we noted that there were a lot of people that can do it, mm-hmm. that actually can fill, mm-hmm. uh, whether Nicole was playing the, the big five position or right. whether she was playing the small ball four. Mm-hmm. What kind of goes into your coaching mentality of now that you know, not that you have to rewrite the whole script, mm-hmm. but you have to tweak a bunch of things about For it? For sure, it's an adjustment. I mean, you know, losing Nicole, um, that's a big part of what we did a year ago. The the beauty of this team and, and the versatility of this team, we talk about now by committee. You know, there's not going to be anyone, obviously, to fill her shoes, but everyone has a gift and everyone has a role. And as a coaching staff, you will see just different lineups. You'll see different adjustments. We may go smaller um, and, and kind of open the floor a little bit. We still can go big. Um, we have so many new additions and and players that have, have been in this role. And so... Um, when it initially hit all of us, obviously we were taken aback. It was it was a shock. But I think how Nicole has responded, how her teammates have responded, and, and just as a coaching staff, we talk about the other pieces. And, you know, let, let them know your name and let them know that you are here with a gift and, and we're going to pull that gift out of you. And 18 points, yes, but if you talk about the people that are going to be involved in contributing to that 18 I'm challenging them to make that 18-25. And so that just gives other people an opportunity to step up and give that one more that we're talking about. Let's go to those other people, those other players on the team. A few of the big names, Mm -hmm. whether it be the two guards, Abby Gonzalez and Bailey Cargo, which have slowly found their footing and found their kind of niche on this team. You have Simone DeFries, who Mm -hmm. was an all-CAA preseason award winner. Yes. How do those players need to not only adjust their game, but be able to fill in, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. everyone had their gift. How do they have to 
step up and fill that role of the team. Well, and and we had that talk. You know, um, I'm pretty transparent as a coach, and we talk about what we need to do to achieve our goals. Abby Gonzalez was first and foremost probably a pass-first point guard for us. Now she's going to have to score, and she can. And you can see that just that leadership and that confidence every day in practice. Uh, Simone DeFries, all CAA selection. She, again, that was 11 points. That 11 points is going to have to go up. And what to what, we don't know. But their offseason, the two of them have really committed into getting in the gym, putting in extra work, knowing as juniors, um, as leaders on this team, they lead by example. And and their skill set based on the sets that we're going to run, um, what we're going to look to, how we're going to look to score, they're going to definitely step up for us, and they can. And they have the confidence to do so. Bailey Cargo, another player I think this summer has really – just really grown her game, and not just a shooter. I mean, she is really putting the ball on the floor. She's scoring with both hands. Uh, she's handling pressure. So are those the big three? No, those are just three pieces that we will have in addition to so many others that we haven't talked about yet. We're talking with Delaware women's basketball head coach Natasha Adair. Uh, going to Simone DeFries for mm-hmm. a couple more minutes, reviewing her, her season and as you prepare for what her role is going to be this season, where do you think her game needs to improve mm-hmm. and where do you think her strength lied last year where she came from you know really not playing much I think she played like 20 minutes as a freshman and then Correct. becoming a full-time starter you know basically a week or two into non-conference play well I'll tell you a little bit about about Simone when I first got here someone just barges in my office and says coach I'm going to show you what I can do I don't want you to give me anything I want to earn it and from day one she just made that impression based on her commitment and her work. Uh, a year ago, I felt like she was a slasher. She could, we could open the floor. She could get to the rim. I think for her to be more effective for us this season is that consistent 15-footer, that consistent three ball, yeah. um, and, and just being able to adjust when the, de- the defense crowds the lane and she can't get all the way to the rim, stop and pop playing off an on-ball, the two-man game, just seeing that versatility so whatever the defense throws at her, she has a counter. And that's one thing that she's been in the gym. And, you know, our assistant coaches have done a phenomenal job getting the the players in, doing that extra individual work. And her and Coach Jenkins have spent a lot of time in the gym just working on that 15-foot range jumper, that three-ball jumper, and, and just the confidence that you see in practice now. It's second nature, no different than her attacking the rim. And with somebody like Simone or even any other players kind of in the, the forward wing area, mm-hmm. is it important to get another consistent shooter in addition to you know what you hope to have from, from Bailey Cargo as a two or even Abby Gonzalez as, a, as the point guard? Is it important to have more shooting? Absolutely, because I think, I mean, if not, you can just camp in. You can sit in the zone yeah. and, and say, okay, if they don't have that 18-point inside presence, you know, they're going to force us to shoot the ball and see if the, if we can beat them from the outside. Yeah. And so we are really trying to mix it up in, in the strategy. We are getting a lot of shots up in practice. But I think you're going to see Abby Gonzalez can shoot the ball um, at a high clip. And that's something that you're going to we need her to do for us to be successful. They're going to zero in on Bailey Cargo. We know that. And so we talk about these things as a coaching staff. We tell our players why we're working on certain things. We have our scout team deny Bailey, don't let her shoot it from three. So every every counter, we're, we're trying to make them think of that that second option because the first option is going to be taken away. And, and you can really see their confidence um, increase in practice based on all the adjustments that we're making. And so 
Come game day, it won't be a surprise if Bailey's denied. Watch for her to put it on the floor. And it won't be a surprise to see Abby when she's open to shoot that three ball or hit that mid-range. So these are things that we work on every day. So game day, we're ready. You're listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD. Talking with Delaware women's basketball head coach Natasha Adair. There are some additions coming mm-hmm. into this team. A yeah. trio of freshmen, unfortunately, we won't get to see one of them yes. um, this year. And Lolo Davenport is mm-hmm. out for the season with an injury. But we will get to see Jasmine Dickey and Paris McBride. Yes. What are you expecting oh, from them gosh. this season? Those two, aside from just their personality, I mean, they, they bring so much energy and excitement. Uh, you will see us mix it up defensively. Jasmine Dickey on the ball is relentless. Um, and then the two of them in any press that we're going to throw out this year, and we're going to mix it up. Uh, we're going to get up and kind of stretch that floor defensively. But those two, from a defensive standpoint, can really change how we guard screens, what we're going to do kind of on dead ball situations and kind of junk deals. So um, I'm really excited about just their athleticism and, and, and defensive prowess. But offensively, um, Paris, again, she'll relieve Abby a little bit. So Abby doesn't have to play 40 minutes. Right. Um, but she's she will increase the pace. Um, we want to go and we want early transition, and, and she's going to help facilitate that. And, and uh, Jasmine Dickey, uh, she's another one. I mean, she can get to the rim. She's going to be a rebounder for us. You know, losing that presence from Nicole, I, I see Jasmine coming in right away and being a force, especially in conference on the glass. And so they're going to they're going to have an immediate impact offensively, defensively, and just kind of whatever we need at that moment. And you do have a lot of returning players mm-hmm. even onto the the bench. So yes. do you have a feel yet for how much you think that, you know, the freshmen will play? Like do you envision easing them into the lineup more? Or do you think they're going to be in from from day one and challenged right away? Well, you know me, there's no ease, <laughs> you know. Um I think that they will have um a pretty significant role. Uh, and But like I said, it's going to be by committee. I can't give you minutes. Um, it'll just be kind of game plan per game, per team, based on what we yeah. need. I mean, you have a, yeah, it seems like you have a lot of different We have a pieces. lot of different pieces. Yeah. And, and you'll see, again, you'll see a four-guard lineup sometimes. You'll see a traditional lineup. And I think really based on scouting report and, and who our opponent is, we may want to pressure. We want So then there's that pressure lineup. We may want to execute and open the floor, and so now our shooters are out there. So I'm really excited, honestly, about the versatility because we can coach in different ways and, and we can mix it up for sure. One more player that we want to touch on, and when we look at this player's past history, the uh, stat sheet and accolade sheet gets longer and longer each year you yes. look at it. And for Makeda to mm. finally be able to get hopefully another full season um, what does she bring to the table? Because this is a forward that can play all five mm-hmm. positions, kind of like Nicole and Abosi can do. Mm-hmm. She's a power on both ends of the court. Can you talk about her not only now post-injury, right. but kind of that vibe that she brought pre-injury? Because even though she might have been injured with the leg, she was definitely vocal and definitely helping the team out. Makeda is is tough. She's our toughness. She's our grit. Um, she's fearless. And just for her, my hope for her is just to have that senior year that she's longed to have. But she's that presence. I mean, it's she can rebound. She can score. She can hit the 15-footer. I think she has one of the most versatile games. Um, and then you add the experience piece. She's a veteran. And now for her to be able, like you said, to stay healthy, put together that 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 full year for us, um, I'm excited about the pieces that we have and and. 
what she can do for us. She can stretch the floor. Um, she will probably command a double team. And then we didn't talk about Rebecca Lawrence. I mean, uh, you go in and out, you throw it into Makeda, out to Becca. Becca can hit the three ball. And so, I mean, there are just so many different ways as I'm sitting here thinking. But for Makeda, she's a leader on this team and she's a voice. You know, when she talks, everyone listens and, and she does it by her work ethic. She she works extremely hard in the gym and, and she demands that. She's the player that can can call you out if you're not pushing because she gives it every day. And so uh, selfishly for, for me as a coach, I just want her to be able to walk out of here um, and accomplish those goals and, and be a part of continuing something special here that, that we're building and that she was even a part of before we got here. So I just want her to be able to see it through. The season opens November 9th at Northern Iowa. Uh, you know, what, what's your approach to the beginning part of the schedule to non-conference play before you get into the CAA games? Well, I think our non-conference will really prepare us for CAA play. Um, I mean, we will see in, in the preseason WNIT and, and just to be a part of that 16-team tournament to represent um, just women's basketball nationally. That's something that we talk to our team about, that we weren't just picked out of our hat. And, and so we were picked because they respect us as a team. And, and we want to put together a good showing when we go out there and compete. You know, we want to go 3-0 and in this. And so headed out to Northern Iowa, a team that, you know, knows they can score the ball. They, they really open the floor. So that'll be a really good test for us off the bat. But it's going to prepare us for our league because we're going to see so many different styles uh, of offense that we will experience in the CAA as well. So uh, Northern Iowa, and then you win that game, you probably have Marquette. Uh, and I'm no stranger to Marquette coming from the Big East and, and knowing what that's going to be about. But every night uh, we take pride in preparing our team to compete to win. And so the first opponent is Northern Iowa. And every day that we're practicing, we're not talking about CAA. We're talking about Northern Iowa. And we know that in this non-conference, we'll see uh, Central Florida. We'll see Maryland. We'll see uh, possibly Marquette. We'll see so many other teams that come opening tip for CAA play. We, we will be battle tested. We will have experienced so many different offenses and defenses that hopefully all of that puts us in a great position once CAA play comes. So last year we had our outdoor show on the patio right outside yes. of Trebon, and Teddy and I had the pleasure of interviewing you for that year. And at the end of it, Teddy kind of asked you to sum up the year mm-hmm. in one sentence or less. And the whole message you put out and what you said here was that the year before you came in, everyone had their role. And when right. you came in, you kind of just took a hammer and busted all those <laughs> roles, and then you built it from scratch. And you said, I did. everyone can do everything, and Correct. we have to make that. So I'll ask again for this year mm-hmm. in a sentence or two, sum up this team and so before we get into the CAA play, into the preseason play, we have a picture of what you think this team is like. You're going to see a team, a, a true team. And I'm just going to stay with our motto. You're going to see a team give one more. We're going to give one more of everything. We are going to be the first team on that 50-50 ball. We're going to be that, that team that goes after every rebound. There will not be a team that outworks us or outhustles us. We will make sure we put ourselves in a position to win every game that we compete in and and. It will be measured on our effort, and we will win those effort points for sure. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Well, Jake, we are fortunate enough to have the Liberal Women's Basketball head coach Natasha Adair on the show just a couple moments ago. And, you know, what sticks out to me as we, we talk about these different things and get ourselves reacclimated to the team and get ourselves ready for this season coming up in just a couple of weeks 
is that this team's got a lot of options. You know, on, on paper, losing Nikola Nabosi undoubtedly is going to make its impact on this team. And there might be hiccups to begin this season. You don't want to lose the CAA player of the year. Nobody does. But there are a lot of players returning to this team that had smaller roles last year that will have an opportunity to grow into larger roles in addition to players who were starters last year who will get a larger chunk of the scoring action, get more opportunities with the ball in their hands because of Inabosi's absence. Uh, you, I think Adair put it best, um, and Inabosi's absence, while it is a big deal, and you said it off-air, and I wish you re- said the point again that you said off-air to Coach Adair where you kind of said that it's a blessing and a curse that even though Nicole Inabosi's out, Makeda Nichols is still here to fill it, but you want to have them both on the court together, um, which is, again, it's a blessing and a curse. You want to have them on the same court together, but you're right. happy that they're here. Right. Does 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 Makeda Nichols last year put them around further in the CAA tournament? I don't know. Um, but but we can't know that now. Uh, you obviously would want Nicole Inabosi with this team, but after this season, you'll still have four of the five starters, or at least the people who are starters now, You'll still have them um, going into next year when Nicole Anabosi is expected to be back from the ACL injury. Yeah. You won't know exactly what Nicole Anabosi will be. You won't know what Kata Nicholas is going to be right away coming off of a season-ending injury herself last year. But it is kind of it's similar. It actually reminds me of what happened with the Delaware defense and Charles Bell, where last mm-hmm. year they lost Bell early in the season, and they had Jalen Kindle, who was a senior, to fill that role, and he did a good job at it. And then they get Bell back, who would have kind of fills a hole that they were expecting to have because they were expecting Bell and Kindle to graduate. It buys them a year to find a replacement at inside linebacker. Kind of be similar with Delaware, buys them a year to develop another forward to be a starter because you can plug Makeda into Anabosi's spot theoretically to begin this season. And then next season, Anabosi will return and replace Nicholas. When we looked at the team as a whole, I think what um, Coach Adair mentioned. Uh, and I asked her about it because we talked about it last year on the outdoor patio, is what is this image for this team? And last year she kind of stressed that we're kind of moving away from the defined positions. You have your defined ones and twos, your threes and fours and fives. Last year we kind of saw it a little adjust. Uh, Nicole and Abosi moved around a little more. Rebecca Lawrence moved around a little more. The guards weren't. Uh, Abby Gonzalez was always going to be that pass-first guard. guard. Yeah, but, um, but Bailey Cargo got to stretch yeah, out a little others. more, shoot a few more threes. Simone DeFries came into herself. And I, that's why I'm so excited for this year because no injury is a good thing, but this is now the test to see if these players can really break their molds and play good women's basketball. In a couple of moments, we're going to have Delaware men's basketball head coach Martin Inglesby joining the show ahead of his third season with the Blue Hens last year. The Delaware men's basketball team was 14-19 and 19 overall. They had a first-round CAA tournament win against Elon. They lost in their second game of the CAA tournament against Northeastern, a team led by Vasapusicha, which was a very talented um, point guard who returns for the Huskies. Uh, but they also, you know, Delaware has a fair amount of returners themselves. We'll talk about all of that with Inglesby in a couple of moments. But Jake, uh, you know, I guess I'll just start kind of in general. What what stands out to you about this Delaware men's basketball team heading into Inglesby's third season? I'm most excited for Eric Carter and what I think Eric Carter is going to bring to this table because you have lost 
so you make a chart of who touches the ball the most, you probably lost your one and your two. And Ryan Daly out for the not I shouldn't say even gone. out for the year. He's gone. He's transferred. Um, and then Ryan Allen out for probably up to CAA play. Uh, we'd like to see him be back before then, but probably up to CAA play is a good assumption. So Eric Carter's going to get the ball a lot. And Inglesby said at the end of the CAA tournament last year that this could be the time where Coach, Ing- Coach Inglesby sees Eric Carter be that top center, be that top big man. And I think it's a good time for him to kind of make that mark. You're listening to the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast. Very pleased to welcome in Delaware men's basketball head coach Martin Inglesby. Coach, thanks for joining us on the show. How are you feeling going into year number three here at the Blue Hens? Well, it's good to be back with you guys. I know it's hoop season, but, uh, you know, we're really excited to get going. I think it's uh, maybe 10 or 11 days until we open up at Maryland. Um, You know, we've had a lot of time with our guys. We've had them in the summer, great preseason. You know, we're, I think, 11 or 12 uh, practices in um, in this uh, September and October period, so we're we're good. We're we're excited about our team and what we're working on, and got a good nucleus of guys that have worked really hard this summer, and um, you know excited to get going. So let's kick it off with the preseason, and this is your third year. What is one thing that you have learned through your first two years? And now that you're finally putting into action your third year, that you wish you knew sooner about this team? What's one key fact that you're like, you know what, if I knew this in the beginning of last year, this would be different. Or if I knew this right when I came in, this would be different. What's your big factor? Well, I think, you know, you want the instant gratification right away of like winning games. But Mm -hmm. I think looking back on it, I understand that it's a process and, and we need to really lay a strong foundation of who we are as a basketball program. And I think each year uh, we've made progress. Our team has improved. We've created an identity. And I think we have c- continuity with our, our guys on our roster, which really helps. And, and it helps me um, with our program, with what we're preaching. There's guys out uh, in our program that understand what we want to do on a daily basis. And, and really the commitment and the standard of how hard we need to work to be successful at this level. And, you know, we spent a lot of time this summer and fall really diving into kind of who we are as a basketball program, uh, personal values of our guys, and and really the core values uh, of who we are and what we stand for. And, you know, those are accountability, attitude, integrity, perseverance, and uh, together, which is our word for teamwork. So we really define that, which has been really valuable for me in our basketball program. So I love where we are. I love the work that we've done. Uh, we got a long way to go, but we've made great strides. I know this was probably long, feels like a long, long time ago for you, but it's probably where a lot of our listeners are kind of picking up with the team with the news at the end of last spring that Ryan Daly would be transferring from the program. Um, if Kind of going back to that for a little bit, what was your and the team's reaction through the summer? How have you kind of responded and adapted to that? Yeah, I mean, we moved on pretty quickly, honestly. Um, you know, Ryan was in our program for two years, had a really good two years, was the rookie of the year. Uh, we're disappointed that he left, but, you know, I think we learned if he didn't want to be here, we're going to move on. And, you know, we had a good nucleus of older guys and Eric Carter and Darren Bryant that really led us through the transition of losing a key guy. Um, you know, getting Kevin Anderson back and a Ryan Allen. Like, we love the core group of guys that we have and what we're building, and we needed to put that in the rearview mirror and focus on, on continuing to stay hungry and motivated and, and really kind of, you know, coming back to those values and those pillars of success. And we had a great summer. Guys worked hard, a good nucleus of freshmen that we're really excited about. We added some new faces. You know, we have a fifth-year transfer, Ryan Johnson from Mercer. We got two really, really good transfers in Justin Mutz and Nate Darling that unfortunately won't be able to play this year for us that'll sit out and have two and three years respectively to play. But they've really brought an unbelievably 
positive energy and vibe to our basketball program. Competition has been as high as, as it's ever been since I've been here in practice and, and workouts on a daily basis. So, you know, when Ryan decided to go, we wish him the you know best of luck um, and wish him well at St. Joe's. But, you know, we're moving forward. We're building a program. We got a nucleus of guys that was really motivated and, and energized to continue to do what we're doing and build and build this program. Let's pick another name that you mentioned there, and that's in Ryan Allen. And he, Ryan Allen is out after gaining foot surgery, but based on timetable, the last timetable we got, uh, about two months was mm. the time block that we were given. But what does that do? And given this, we'll probably not cut too much into the CAA play mm-hmm. chunk of the year, but this was a player who tied the school record in three-pointers, won the CAA Rookie of the Year <laughs> award. So to have him alongside Kevin Anderson rather than talking about the negatives of that injury what's the positives of when he comes back him and Kevin Anderson together yeah I mean excited to see I feel like I haven't seen those two guys play together in a while um you know a tough blow for us with Ryan going down you know best case scenario mid-December but who knows we're going to be really smart about it and not force him back I think it just depends on how that bone heals it could be a little sooner it could be a little later uh and I think it's a great opportunity for young guys uh, to step up Anithiel Horton uh, Matt Verretto, obviously Ryan Johnson. We t- talked about it transfers. We, we didn't mention Colin Goss, a guy that sat out last year and has two years to play for us in our basketball program. You know, we're older, and I think that's something that I've talked about when I got here when we only had four guys on scholarship. You know, you want to get old and stay old, and we have some men out there. You know, Ryan Johnson's 24 years old. You know, Colin Goss, 22, 23. Eric Carter's older. Darren Bryant's older. Um, that's important as you build a program. We have more men out there. But again, it goes back to, you know, next man up. Guys, are, we've had great competition every day in practice. Uh, Jacob Cushing, the young guys, um, getting those opportunities. And we've had, we had a scrimmage last Saturday. We have another scrimmage at Loyola Baltimore this Saturday. And it's been a great opportunity for me as a coach to kind of mix and match some lineups and give some young guys an opportunity to play and compete. And we sat on the same bench and we had a rotation. So you're learning a lot about our team. And, you know, we're 10 or 11 days away from when we're dealing with real bullets at Maryland. But, um, you know, again, we're trying to mix and match and figure it out. And hopefully we get a chance to get Ryan back. And I do think, you know, as unfortunate as the injury is, you know, it's going to really set us up as we head into conference play with the experience some of these guys are getting. Maybe you get a boost, you get a boost with Ryan back and it's only going to elevate our program and our play. Is there anything that you've learned through through the scrimmages that you can't pick up in practice? Um that it kind of will inform you as you head into the season? Yeah, I mean, I do feel that we're going to hopefully be a better offensive team than we've been. You know, we have more threats on the perimeter. We have more guys that can shoot the ball from outside. It was a little bit of our Achilles heel. And I, and I do think we're, we're learning how to be more a cohesive unit on the defensive end where we got some size out there with Kevin Anderson's almost 6'5", Darren Bryant's 6'4", Ryan Johnson's 6'6", those two big guys and Eric Carter and uh, Colin Goss playing together. So we have some versatility with how we're going to play. And I'm hopeful that we can play a little faster on the offensive end and be able to score the ball a little at a higher clip and more efficiently than we have in past. Listening to Blue Hen Sports Cage on 91.3 WVUD, talking with Delaware men's basketball head coach Martin Inglesby. Kevin Anderson last season started off really strong, 13.7 points per game before his season-ending injury. Uh, we mentioned him a little bit in kind of our other questions too, but specifically on him, how's he coming along from the injury and what are your expectations for him in year number two? 
Yeah, I mean, it's great having him back with us. Again, I think he's an extension of me out there as our point guard, really quarterback in the group. He got cleared uh, mid-April to get back out on the court. So uh, it was a big blow for us losing him last year heading into conference play. We lost him Christmas night, probably playing as well as any young guard in our league. And we just weren't deep at that position, so that really impacted us. But, you know, excited. He's gotten stronger again. I think he's gotten taller. Uh, He's got a great feel for our system and how we want to play. We spent a lot of time when he was injured uh, watching film and continuing to learn the game. Um, And we're going to have to look at some opportunities with him playing off the ball. You know, he's he's a tall guard, very comfortable with the ball in his hands. He can score it. He's still getting himself in back into a playing rhythm. You know, I think that takes time. It was great for him to play against somebody else on Saturday. And and going at Nate Darling and some of these other guys every day, you know, those guys are getting the best out of each other. So I'm excited to see him back out there leading the group. I told him the other day, I was like, it's great to have you back out there with us. I've been waiting a while for this. So um, he's had a really good preseason and and start a practice season for us. Where do you eventually see the ceiling for guys like Anderson and Allen. Um, like to us, they stand out as as being the really athletic guys. Yeah. Last year, they were both filling it up before um, before and Anderson got hurt, and then yeah. obviously Allen will won't start with you guys for the season. But do you see those guys as guys who can be the come some of the best two or three scorers in the league? Where do you see them? growing into later in their careers. Yeah, I mean I you know, I think they're really talented offensive guys that can score the basketball from a variety of of levels from the three point line, the foul line, attacking the basket. The one thing I love about them is like they're great competitors and, and they want to win and that's the most important stat for them. You know, they've developed some good cohesiveness and synergy and, and enjoyed playing together and they enjoy in their teammates' success. Um, you know, I think they have both have a chance to be first-team all-league guys, player of the year candidates as they continue to progress through their college careers. Um, and I always tell I feel like I got the best young backcourt in our league, and those guys are going to continue to lead us. And we have a good mixture of talented sophomores, but also an older, experienced guy in Eric Carter and Darian Bryant. So um, those four guys leading this group, um, I feel really good as we head into CAA play. But, you know, I learned a long time ago, if you don't have good guards, you, you know, you don't have, you know, you know, you don't have have it. So we we got to continue to let those guys lead our group, and, and they've done a great job getting a feel for what we're trying to do and who we are. And, and again, it comes back to, like, winning players in your program, and those guys are driven yeah. to succeed and, and win. And that's kind of the culture we're developing and trying to build. At the end of the CAA tournament last year, when we were talking to you in the press conference and we asked you about Eric Carter, mm-hmm. um Summing up what you said, you basically put it as this could be a year where Eric Carter is one of the best big men in the CAA. And now that you've got to see it through your preseason, you got to see it through your practices, um, I don't assume that opinion might have changed in a negative way. But what is now, as we get closer and closer to the season, more um, quantitatively, what you actually are expecting from Eric Carter as you're probably your team leader for the entire year. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm really proud of his development, our basketball program, and, and what our assistant coaches have done with him. Um, he he really understands how to play, how to play in our systems, got a great feel for the game. Um, and I think he's got a chance to be one of the best big guys in our league, no doubt about it. You know, when he's in there, he's produced, he's delivered, he's gotten more comfortable, you know, uh, facing up and stretching the floor, and we want him to – he's got an open look from the three-point line, he's got the green light. And, again, he's – 
he's experienced two full years in our program. He's battle tested. He's delivered for us. I know he's excited to really lead this group. So, you know, I think this could be a breakout season for him. It's his fifth year in college playing college basketball. And again, I'm not sure there's a better offensive big guy in our league. And, and um, you know, we have that inside-out presence when you got Kevin Anderson and Ryan Allen rolling and Eric Carter scoring around the basket. So we got to keep him healthy. i got to get him some rest, but it's going to have a major impact for us to see and, and a huge, huge key guy for us. When you think about your two years ago, Ryan Daly, CAA Rookie of the Year. Yeah. Last year, Ryan Allen, CAA Rookie <laughs> of the Year. We may not be getting into a pattern here, but if there was to be a pattern and there would be some other CAA Rookie of the Year looks Mm -hmm. to the Delaware team, if you were to pick, and I I know it's hard to pick one player, you haven't seen him really in CAA play Mm -hmm. yet, but talk about the rookies. Talk Mm -hmm. about the new players onto the court. Could it be possible? And if it's definitely, I don't assume you're going to say no to that, but (laughs) who would be the one to look at? Who's this? Yeah, I mean... You know, I'm really excited about this freshman class we have. You know, they all fit a need for us. Um, They come from really great high school basketball programs. They've had success. Um, They've come from winning programs and cultures. And and they know how to play on both ends of the floor. And and they can make shots. That's an area where we were lacking our ability to stretch the floor and open up up the floor. You know, Ithiel Horton is a kind of a combo guard that we targeted early in the process a versatile guard that can play with a Kevin Anderson and a Ryan Allen, can really stretch the floor and make shots, is a really good athlete, can defend the basketball. Uh, Matt Verretto is like a blue-collar forward. He's a lefty, can stretch the floor, plays really hard. He's easy to play with. Um, he can defend multiple positions. And Alex Novakovic is a kid that committed to Evansville. The coach got let go. 6'10", versatile guy that can play uh, multiple positions on the front line as well, but can really stretch the floor. I mean, he's a guy that stands in the corner. The guys find him. I think he was leading us in three-point field goal percentage through practice the last time I looked at the cumulative stats. So, again, really good kids, high-character kids, come from, you know, again, great high school basketball programs, and they know how to play the game. You know, guys that can pass and shoot, and that's been an area where we have to continue to get better. So they're all going to have an opportunity, maybe one more than more than the other. Hopefully, as we continue to build this, you're not relying on the freshmen as much, but they're all going to get an opportunity to get in there and play and have fun and hope us win a lot. Hope, hopefully help us win a lot of games. We'll look at maybe the shirt I'm wearing. I am wearing my Maryland shirt. It was one of the last clean shirts on the clothing rack. I had to grab it. My dad's coming down this weekend. He's going to do my laundry. It's okay. I won't wear the shirt anymore. Not doing your own laundry? No. Well, when my dad's coming down, I might as well have him pay for it. It's the college experience. But let's kind of look at that game. This is a Maryland team that, while it is a highly competitive basketball program, uh, a few years ago, this would be a totally different ball game. When they were playing that mellow Trimble type basketball mm-hmm. style, it was a... It was a it was a sight to see the Jake Laymans of the world. <laughs> when you look at this matchup, is it good or bad that your season is starting with Maryland? And with that, why and what would that impact for your team for the season? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have a flashback to last year when we went down to Richmond and opening night and beat Atlantic Ten team and played really well. And you know, our guys when they found out we were opening the season with Maryland, um, they were fired up and they were excited. What an opportunity for our basketball program! 
to go down 95 and play against a Big Ten opponent, you know, with the tradition, the success that they've had. You know, some of our guys on our team have played AAU basketball with their point guard, Anthony Callen, Daryl Morsell. So they're familiar with those guys. Um, so we got nothing to lose. Nobody's going to give us a chance to go down there. I can't imagine what the point spread will be. But, you know, our guys are excited. They're motivated. It'll be a good day of prep for us to really um, key in and lock in from an execution standpoint. Um, so, you know, we got nothing to lose. We're going to go down there and have fun with it and, and, and see what happens. And speaking of last year, when Notre Dame came into town, mm-hmm. the uh, like you mentioned, the spread, it was a hefty spread. But halfway through about the first, uh, I was watching the game on the sideline with Ahmed when he was here. And halfway through the first, I kind of turned to him and I was like, we're not even close to the spread. This is <laughs> this is a basketball yeah, game. Yeah. And then come halftime, I was like, this is a this is we're fighting. And it was, regardless of how the score ended up, this was, I think, leaps and bounds better than we thought this, and the team fought through and through. Where do you see that stacking up against Maryland? Because this is an opportunity for you out of the gate to either keep your spirits high, and I think you put it best that we have nothing to lose, we're just Mm going to go in there and play basketball. Yeah, I think it would be a good barometer for us for where we are as a program. You know, obviously we'll sit on the same bench and play against somebody else, a team that's uh, probably in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, probably on the bubble or one of the last couple teams projected in the NCAA tournament. Um, and you'll learn a lot about it, your team in that environment. You know, it'll be loud. There'll be a lot of people there. I think it's on, you know, Comcast, Sportsnet. It'll be on TV. You know, we'll have good support down there being an area where we really recruit um, and again, our guys are excited to compete in that environment. You know, look back to the Notre Dame game. Uh, where I think we were up 19-17. We're playing really well. Next thing you know, they make a couple threes. But you felt good about how our team competed. And I've never tell Kevin this. I've never felt so good about a 24-point 24, 24 loss in my life. But, you know, it was a great day for Delaware basketball, great day for a program to have that university and brand and obviously to celebrate Coach Bray and all his successes that he's had here. Um, so hopefully we can go down and play well on a big stage. Again, we're – we're trying to look at a lot of different things with our group and everybody a chance to get in there. And, you know, I do think for us, controlling tempo and maybe slowing the game down gives us the best chance to be successful against a team like that that has size and talent that can really score the basketball. But, um, you know, we'll go down there and fight and see what happens and give it our best. And then we'll learn from it and be ready to go the next weekend when we play at St. Peter's. The season opens November 6th against Maryland. First home game will be the 13th. At the Bob Carpenter Center, we'll have coverage of both right here on WVUD. Coach Ingles, thanks for joining us on the show. Always a pleasure, guys. Go Blue Hens. You're listening to the Blue Hens Sports Cage podcast. Jake, it is time for our weekly Big Fact segment where we'll highlight a few big things numbers-wise that translate into kind of game plan notes to keep your eye on for this weekend's matchup. We start with you looking at the Blue Hens, how they stack up with the Tigers. The first big fact is that don't let last year affect this year. Last year's defeat to Towson, while it might have not been the official you're done for the season, you're not making the playoffs, it was the biggest hit to the sales. And it ended in probably the worst fashion with Ryan Stover hitting Sam Gallahan in the corner of the end zone for the game-winning touchdown for the Tigers. That game, which Delaware played great for the first half and a little bit into the third quarter, they started to slow down on the defensive end. And the biggest thing is to not let that happen again. If you can establish a lead against Tom Flacco and this elite Towson offense, it is almost imperative that your defense stays strong. Your offense, they can slow down. They can have room for their mistakes. But your defense, they need to hold strong from start to finish. 
My big fact is the, the passing line of Tom Flacco. There isn't one number that can define his season, but you look at it across the board, he leads the CAA in more passing categories than not, and we mentioned it at the beginning of the show. He's the fourth-ranked rusher behind two Stony Brook backs, Jordan Gowens and Donald Leotine, and Albany's Elijah Ibatokan Hanks. Uh, he's ahead of Aaron Forms. He's ahead of Kanai Kane. He's ahead of Marcus Marshall from James Madison, and he's ahead of his teammate Shane Simpson, a fellow Tiger, their starting running back. Passing-wise, 1,976 raw passing yards. That leads the conference. 17 passing touchdowns. That leads the conference. 282.3 passing yards per game. That leads the conference. Seven interceptions, which is not the fewest any quarterback has thrown. Pacquiao, for instance, has thrown four in comparison this season. Uh, but certainly not a bad number when you're attempting 158 passes so far, which, yet, or excuse me, 233 passes, completing 158 of them. Both of those numbers, once again, lead the conference. So this is this is the top guy. And if Delaware's pass defense, the secondary, is going to show up for a game, uh, like, you know, they've been making big plays, but if they're going to really lock down in a game, this would be the one to do it. This would be a game that gives Delaware an inside track to a playoff spot. They'd have to win probably two of the next three games, but you'd look at two of them on paper, Albany and Villanova, as very winnable games. If they lose this weekend, you'd really like for them to win all three of the remaining games this season to get to that eight-win overall, six-conference wins mark, and that would require them to beat Stony Brook on the road, which is not impossible. You know, If you're going to be a playoff team, you're going to have to have a couple of ranked wins. But this one against number 10 Towson would give them a really good shot down the stretch to make the FCS playoffs for the first time since 2010.